everyone who watched today saw their heart out there, and uh, they they just didn't quit. We told them there was going to be adversity, and um, you had to look adversity in the face and smile, and then slap the crap out of it. And uh, and that was our quote, and and they did. Aggieville, Aggieville, I'll be out in Aggieville. Aggieville, Aggieville, I'll be out in Aggieville. Aggieville, Aggieville, I'll be out in Aggieville. Aggieville, Aggieville, I'll be out in. What's up, everybody? You're listening to yet another edition of Cocaine Willie, and tonight we're going to be joined by the one and only Grant Flanders from K State Online and on three to discuss the Wildcats' victory from the Oklahoma State matchup in Stillwater this weekend. And we'll be previewing the final two matchups of regular season play with the Oklahoma Sooners in Manhattan tomorrow night and the West Virginia Mountaineers in Morgantown this coming Saturday. Chef, Fireball Matt, how are we feeling tonight? Excellent, baby. We're feeling real good. Change the profile picture. Love it. I'm, I'm feeling good on here, you know? I'm ready to talk some cats. We actually guest on. You know, just life is good, baby. I love it. I just uh, I finished a jumbo margarita about 15 minutes ago. So uh, get me going. Get me <laughs> going. Are you doing flavored? I, uh, like, what man. kind of flavoring of your margarita are you doing? Just like classic, you know? Uh, it was a it was a classic uh, Texas margarita, which I'm in Indiana, so I don't. Interesting. For in- it was a. That's how you know it's good. It was a Jose Cuervo something or other but you know what it was in a big glass it tasted good it was a long day at work but i'm ready to talk some cats they served you know, in one of those a schooners week. a schooner no i don't ta- like those I, big, I don't those dr- big schooners i don't drink anything that's in a schooner why sooner schooner oh i first off i don't know what a schooner is i'm googling that right now but i yeah, you should. You should. You'll recognize it immediately. A schooner. It's a type of sailing vessel. Correct, but not oh. when you're using it as a beverage receptacle. Oh, I see. A schooner refers to the shape of a glass. No, I had it in like a big... Yes. I mean, if you think of a margarita class, but it was like a jumbo margarita, you know? Salt. Salt on the rim? Um... You know, I actually prefer tahini on the rim, but this Mexican restaurant did not have that. And if anybody who is listening has never had tahini on the rim of a margarita, you are missing out. I've only had mango and tahini. That's, I mean, that I is kind of like the flavors that go. That together. is a classic combination. You know, you would really fit in in Texas. You know, some type of citrus fruit and tahini is like a winner. Oh yeah, I mean, any anything that can be ingested, I've I've ventured all kinds of worlds with that, you know. Just anything. I don't know, just anything maybe that that's ingested. Con- <laughs> maybe a little out of context for that. I don't know what that means. <laughs> well, we're uh, we're welcoming to the stage, uh, Mr. Grant Flanders from K State Online and on three. Flando, are you a uh, salt on the rim or a tahini on the rim guy? You know, I feel foolish. I don't even know what tahini is, so. Oh no! Oh, <laughs> I, 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 a, feel, I feel childish. Actually, you have a lot to learn. You know when <laughs> when K State makes the Final Four in Houston, I have a great Mexican restaurant for you in Houston, and they do serve tahini. El Tiempo. Oh yes, El Tiempo. Oh my God! 
best fajitas, best fajitas you'll ever have, and you can get tahini on the rim. So wait, I, can you explain sure. to me what it it's is? It's like a. Um, <laughs> I, I'd, be, I'd be honored, honestly. Um, it's kind of like a a spicy salt, like a seasoned salt, but um, it's like it's salt and like chili seasoned... powder mixed together, basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, then I I am familiar with that. I just didn't know it was called tahini. So I wasn't. Yeah. Um, I wish I, but yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I, I need to, I don't think I've tried it. So I it's real. It. when they say the word tahine, they're really just describing the brand name that is most popular with that seasoning. Tahine's just a brand, but mm-hmm. like, it's just a seasoned salt. So like if it's with chili powder and like adobo seasoning and it's, it's got a lot of flavors. Just if you think of Mexican seasoning, just imagine that, but it's really, really good for like counterbalancing sweet things. So like if you have a sweet margarita, like strawberry or mar- uh, mango, you put some tahini on it and it just balances everything out. It's beautiful. I think I would like tahini on all of my margaritas. Personally, another childish thing about me, I don't like regular salt on my margarita. It's just like, I don't need it. Like give me a margarita, no salt, but tahini with the salt and the chili powder. Now that like, adds a little kick, a little flavor. Like you said, yeah, I'm all about that. That's now just wait. Now just wait until you try it with a ranch water with like a little jalapeno slice in the ranch water. Uh, now we're going too far. Oh, Stop wait, it. I forgot ranch water is actually a, a, an actual alcoholic beverage. It, it is. Ranch water, it at, is first, a- <laughs> at first, I think the worst, but yeah. Um, I need to try ranch water too. <laughs> And and try, but try a ranch water like a homemade ranch water that's just Topo Chico and tequila, and maybe you know you get you can throw a little bit of extra in there. They they make the pre made ones now, which are all right, but I I still have not had like a great pre made one. The ones that you make from scratch, those are still those are those are chef's kiss. Yeah, I'd, I'd love that. I do love tequila. I can't deny that tequila is superior, I think, than any other alcohol. Personally. The Big 12, obviously Big 12 tournament next week. When you're in Kansas City, if you go to Mean Mule Distilling, they do have a Casey Ranch water that they use as Topo Chico, but it's excellent. Yeah. And it's very close. Like, it's in uh, the crossroads, very close. So. Yep. Put me on. Yeah. I love it. Yep. Absolutely. I think I've heard of Mean Mule, but that's, yeah, I haven't checked it out yet. So. No free ads. No free hashtag no free ads (laughs) hashtag no free ads well well, grant we appreciate you joining us tonight we've got a game to recap how about we how about we get into it awesome well uh k-state played oklahoma state on saturday oklahoma state was kind of solidly on the bubble uh and needed a big win on saturday against the cats to essentially put themselves on the right side of that bubble and avoid missing out on the big dance as we all know, um, this past week, this would this would be a tough test for the Wildcats, and, and they were tested in this matchup, and I was just listening to Tang's post-game press conference, and he said something around, along the lines of, uh, I'll put it at the beginning of the podcast as a cold open, but uh, said something about slapping adversity in the face, and I feel like the team did that. Um, Cats pulled it out 73-68 to in a hard-fought matchup uh, that saw a number of lead changes, uh, and it was another first half where K-State went into the locker room uh, down, trailing at the half, uh, this time by by two points, 35-33. K-State then came out of the gate, as we've seen the last few games, uh, against Oklahoma State and and really kicked it uh, kicked it into gear in the second half by and, and won the game by outscoring Oklahoma State by seven in the second half uh, and pulled out the five-point win in a tough road environment in Stillwater. 
I do want to say real quick, I, I think credit where it's due to Oklahoma State. They had four guys who were in double-figure scoring. Uh, the two Calebs, Caleb Boone and Caleb Asbury, were the two leaders for them. Uh, they had 18 and 13 points, respectively. And then Woody Newton was really crashing the boards. He had seven total rebounds. Uh, on the K-State side, you've got Mr. New York City Marquise Noel. He led the day for the Wildcats with 22 points, eight assists, and five rebounds with four steals. Uh, Keontae Johnson wasn't too far behind with 17 points and five rebounds. And everybody who played, we had nine guys uh, who who played at least a minute in, of game time, right? Um, they all had at least one rebound, everybody who played in the game on the K-State side. Uh, 33 total rebounds and out-rebounded Oklahoma State by three, uh, which is pretty huge, I think, considering how much Caleb Boone crashed the boards on their side. Uh, and then finally, statistically, that I'll go through, and, and then I'll open it up to the group here. K-State shot 49% from the field to Oklahoma State's 41%. Also shot 38 to their 21% from three and 85% to their 74% from the stripe. So this team once again showed that they were resilient team coming out of the locker room, taking and and keeping that momentum in the second half being down in the first half. Um, I think personally, if they're able to secure the win against Oklahoma, they'll still be in third ahead of Baylor in the conference standings. And depending also on what happens with Texas, they may potentially slide up to second. So Important game to be watching uh, for the Longhorns tomorrow night, uh, which is I think they're playing these the same time that we are. Um, but I guess for the group here, just to start the discussion on the game, what does this win in Stillwater mean for this team as they head into the final stretch of the regular season? Um, I guess I'll start because I was obviously the biggest pessimist in the last show about this game. I thought this was a game we were going to lose um, only primarily because of just our inconsistency on the road. This team hadn't won a road game since the beginning of January, and they had showed in road games the ability to be competitive, but they couldn't close the deal. This was one that the first half was a bit of a struggle, but it was a good battle, um, uh, you know, as far as I was concerned in that area. But the second half, they really showed resiliency. Um, was very similar to the the past two games, right? Um, the ability to make shots, getting guys um, some easy opportunities, and playing some good defense. Um, Oklahoma State is a team that was really kind of playing for their life a little bit when you think about the NCAA tournament. And this was a game that, in all respects, if the sides were flipped, we would be probably pretty pissed that we didn't take advantage of an opportunity to beat a top 15 team at home. So, um, I take this win as, as, as huge just to prove the fact that we can win a game outside of Bramwich Coliseum, um, considering that next weekend we're going to be at the Sprint Center and the week after, who knows. Um, so it, it, Oklahoma State is a, is a good team. I think Caleb Boone's a really good player. They obviously missed. Um, you know, they have some guys that are injured that didn't help their cause, but you know, K-State really brought some energy in that second half, did what they needed to do to try and beat an Oklahoma State team that, again, was kind of fighting for their life. Yeah, the desperate team angle is is something that can't be understated. They, they were a team that was going to pull out all the punches because they were on such a skid, you know. Going into that K-State, uh, going into their matchup versus K-State, they had everything in front of them. They they could have got a quad one win at home, but you know our defense is really what stepped up. And 
what I saw improve. You know, we, we always talked about the three-point field goal percentage, and Oklahoma State is not a good three-point shooting team, and we made it tough for them inside and allowed them and the right people to shoot threes, whether they're open or slightly contested. The, de- the team showed poise, and I, I know we're going to bring it up, but um, Tang, he showed his chops and got a T, and I think some people are dismissing it. Some people are crediting him. I'm going to go onto the side of that. That is something that is a side that we needed to see, and he really dug into the refs, and it sparked the team in that late run in the second half. I don't know the exact numbers, but I think after that it was like a tw- 24 to – 13 run towards the end of the game. So something happened and that, that part of the game is something that we needed to see. And I think it's going to be crucial even further down the stretch into postseason basketball with Tang doing what he did. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the, I agree with that. The defense has really stepped up. I think the last few games, um, finding ways to get it done on that end, because I think, you know, Tang mentioned after that Oklahoma loss on the road, uh, you know, the legs were tired and you, it was clear to see it <laughs> when Cam Carter is getting crossed up by Bijan Cortez. Obviously, legs are tired. He's one. He's a solid defender. He shouldn't be getting crossed up like that. Um, you see, since that game, the legs have been fresh and they've been defending their asses off and it's played a huge factor. And then um, I know he didn't score the last six minutes of the game, but Deontay Johnson in Stillwater was so efficient. I mean, he's been efficient all year, but uh, that's the kind of Keontae I like to see um, shoot five threes. I'd like to see him shoot five threes more often. I think we all would. Um, and and then Keese, you know, it's cool to see. I don't think we've really seen a game where he was – as sloppy as he was uh, in Stillwater with the ball with seven turnovers, um, but then do everything else really well and then come out with the win. That was huge uh, to show that he can, you know, make more mistakes than we want to see because he's so good that that his positive plays can still outweigh, you know, seven turnovers. So I think the fact the stars came to play – and did that, and they're starting to really, I think, mesh together better than ever before at this time, it's a good sign. Um, I don't think there's any better time to be, I think, seeing your two stars playing some of their best basketball um, because we can't forget Noel also, you know, uh, uh, he had seven turnovers in Stillwater. They still win the game. Let's not forget he had 10 assists, zero turnovers the game before that. So clearly he's capable of, you know, uh, playing flawless games like that, um, but it's good to see. I, I don't know the. I don't know many more ways uh, this team could win. You know, I feel like they've gone through so many different kinds of ways to win, whether offensive, de- defensive, and everything in between. Um, sloppy, not sloppy. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm liking what I'm seeing right now, uh, but we have to see also how you finish out these last two games against two teams that at this point K-State should win, you know, so, but in the, in the last time they faced two teams like this and they should have won, we saw it happen. Flando, I'm curious from your perspective, just since you're, since you're more 
closely tied to the team and obviously cover them daily, day, day in, day out. What have you seen in the defense in the past few games that, that have brought the team to what they're looking at? Looking at Kempom now, they're, they're 13th in the country in adjusted defense. What have you seen through the last few games defensively that's really made this team turn a corner from the defensive side of the ball? Besides the fresh legs after, you know, Oklahoma and they gave them the rest that they needed, um, which was clearly necessary. I think there's two guys in particular that stick out for me. One that has been a defensive liability most of his career in Ish Masood. Um, he's stepped up big time, I think, on the defensive end. And the little time he plays here and there, like, I, I mean, I shouldn't say little time. He plays almost 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes a game um, recently, thanks to his defense, because before that, you know, um, I think there was some games where he's playing less than 10 minutes because, I don't know, probably Tang and the staff could tell he just wasn't putting in the effort and practice, and uh, maybe it wasn't going to show up. on. You know, he is playing in three. And defense, defend the rim, uh, you know, try to box out. Uh, that, I think, has made a, a huge difference. Uh, these last few few games and then I think uh, beyond that I I know it's I didn't know I didn't really know this was gonna be the case when I probably but when they started Desi Sills I I wasn't positive I knew it wasn't going to be a regression in defense but I didn't know it was going to be that good uh, where it's I think putting Desi Sills in the starting lineup instantly makes that defense really really tough because you're talking about uh, I think four, uh, I should say three, you know, players that can guard the perimeter pretty well in uh, Marquise Noel, Cam Carter, and then Desi Sills. And then you have, I think, you know, Tomlin, who has stepped up huge too. I can't discount his uh, effort on both ends, especially defensively. I know he struggles picking up fouls here and there, but man, he's uh, he's he's so valuable to this team without him. They're not where they're at, um, even though, you know, especially because David Gasson got hurt for that period of time. They needed Tomlin in those those times. And uh, Gasson coming back also helps. I know he's not the toughest player, but uh, I I think he has enough toughness. And he's shown it recently, I think, too, you know, guarding, uh, you know, some tough interior players and not, you know, I think Musa Cease, I saw – Musa Cease tried to back him down and figure out a way to score over top of Gasson. Gasson didn't make it easy on him. And I think it's those little, those little things um, from the guys that aren't the stars on the team in Johnson and Keys that have really stepped up and adding Sills, a guy that I think has been a great defender all year to that starting lineup just makes it that much better. Um, Cause I don't know. I, I like what I see. Keontae Johnson's been that one guy that gets beat off the dribble every now and then. But, man, you can live with that when he's shooting as efficiently as he is on the other other end. So, yeah, I think it's uh, the the role players have really stepped up. The the role players are absolutely massive. And you, you brought up Tomlin 
not being able to stay on the floor with the fouls. I think we're getting to see that that's kind of a regular occurrence, but you know, team his the team is stepping up behind him. And I think because like you brought up Sills being a starter and Tomlin being a starter and being in foul trouble, Gasson coming off the bench. I, I said this a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week, Gasson coming off the bench, seeing how they're calling fouls on Tomlin makes his game. It makes him able to adjust to the game. So we're not having two bigs in foul trouble instead of just maybe Tomlin being in foul trouble. And I think it, it's, it's absolutely massive. The role players that stepped up. I mean, you listen to the, the senior let offs and having green, you know, Tyke had two huge games this season and he, he came in being a guy that was uh, a star at Stony Brook, basically their lead player. And he comes in and he's just the absolute glue guy that whenever his number is called, he's going to do what needs to be done. What, what part of this team is going to be most needed down this last stretch? I mean, is it, will we see more Tyke? Will we see, or would, or would you rather them just maybe shrink the, shrink the rotation even more? And cause we played, how many guys did we play versus Oklahoma state? Nine, nine. I mean, yeah, I mean, are we going to see that throughout the rest of this uh, in the postseason play, or are we going to shrink it maybe to seven, maybe, and or I, I couldn't imagine it going to six, but seven guys? Yeah, my guess uh, is, you know, sh- a shrinkage situation. <laughs> I mean, you, you, I think Tang is going We've all to been there. Right? <laughs> I was in the pool. <laughs> I think um, Tang uh, is doing this right now, you know, playing nine guys right now because you want to be able to shrink that lineup when it it matters the most. Because uh, I I do think right now, I do love what Green does, you know, when he comes in. But in the the tournament time, I don't see him getting much – PT unless fouls really pile up. But I also think, I mean, shoot, I probably, I don't, I don't even know if I should say this because I do hate, I really do hate college officiating, but I have to think it does get better, uh, you know, deeper into the season and they don't call as many fouls, especially on star players. Hopefully Keontae Johnson can maybe get a few more calls his way. Cause I think, especially for a star player, he's been, treated differently it seems like just doesn't get some calls that other guys get or gets called for something that I haven't seen called forever like the hooking against uh I think it was Texas uh, I mean if it, if that was the Texas game if I am remembering correctly three-point loss at home to Texas you know that one call matters um and I know it's not just Keontae but man uh I do think the point is, I think they're going to be able to shrink it and play Keese, Carter, Keontae, Sills, Tomlin, uh, Gasson, and Ish, and then throw Eziola uh, in there um, sparingly. I, I don't I, – that's kind of the, the thing I see. Uh, so what? That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I think seven guys. Ish being that, you know, seventh piece. And uh, Gasson, I think – 
playing a huge role off the bench going forward. Another question I have is, and, and this is for the whole group, but Flando, we'll start with you. How does your confidence in the team change when this team is going into the locker room at the half with a deficit? Because we've seen it the last three games, but there have been other games this season too where we're going into the locker room with, with a deficit at halftime. And I don't know if it's Tang saying some speech. I don't know if it's Marquise or Keontae trying to get the guys wound up uh, to go out and fight after after halftime. But but does your confidence change with this team when they go in with a deficit versus when they have a lead? Because I think the last time we had a lead going into halftime, it was in that Texas game that you that you just mentioned. And I might be wrong on that, so so don't quote me on that. But we had what a fourteen point lead just before halftime, and and I think it was slightly short or slightly smaller than that going into halftime. But but I'm just curious, do we feel more confident in this team when they go into the into the locker room with a with a deficit. I mean, that is an interesting thing. And if they really haven't led at halftime since Texas, that that which you might be right because I don't know if, know that off the top of my head either right now. I think we were because uh, we didn't we didn't in Oklahoma, but maybe yeah, we were against tied. Tech we did. We were tied at OU. I think like at thirty six apiece. Okay, but well, still didn't have the lead. Still lost. That was still a loss too. If they so they they yeah they won every game since uh, you know. I guess they're on this three-game winning streak. All those games, they were trailing a half. That's that's correct. I guess we need to be down by 12 or something. <laughs> I, I mean, that is wild because, I mean, it is crazy to think, no, of course I'm going to be more confident with a lead at halftime. But it is interesting you say that because if that is true with the Texas, that Texas game in particular was – uh, a coaching mishap in the second half. I think that's clear. And I think Tang would probably admit to that. Um, and he probably has, uh, he probably did. And I just don't remember. Um, but it was TCU. TCU was the last time we led going into the locker room. We were up 36 to 30, but, but still got the win there. But that was the yeah. last time we went into the locker room with. The yeah. Lead. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, no, I mean, and that was a, that was a good game. So no, of course you always want to lead, but it is interesting. I think, I do think they've just learned their lessons through that bad stretch with tech and Oklahoma that uh, in Tang, that's the thing I like about uh, Jerome Tang is he's, he's so honest with some things that like, I think it's, I think it's clear. Like he, 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 they took accountability. They weren't giving their players the rest they needed to be able to defend and play at a high level on offense. Um, and now that they're doing that, they're paying more attention to their bodies. Tang is learning very quickly on his first you know, time ever being a head coach what to do. Um, and he has you know, some great assets underneath him. Um, even like Marco Bourne, I have to shout that guy out because he's awesome, I think, and does you know, way more – than anyone can even notice because, you know, yeah, he's not a, an assistant, so he's not, he can't be out there recruiting at all times. Um, but he's a, he's a huge piece that, that really, I think, glues this whole team together. And, uh, you know, I think the staff is, that's been a huge factor is how adaptable they've been and the ability to take accountability when they feel that it's necessary. Um, because right after the Oklahoma loss, Tang didn't instantly admit to to uh, tired legs being an issue. 
Um, I mean, he may have, but I feel like he harped more on his guys just didn't want it more than Oklahoma. The moment they won that next game against, what was it, TCU at home, after that game, he is – he's basically – I think he apologized and said, actually, I should have said, you know, it was tired legs, and uh, that's really what held us down. I needed to give the guys rest, and, you know, that's what we did going forward. And he might have said that after Oklahoma at some point. Like, he may have known it at that point that, hey, these guys need a rest. But that is so key to be able to realize that in your first year instead of getting off after two losses and making your team run and ruining things even more, possibly having, you know, a whole worse uh, pile of losses coming after that. Uh, you know, it's, I think, it pretty, pretty cool to see them be able to after the, because those two losses for sure suck. Um, I'm not going to deny that. And I totally understand where when fans were overreacting about the situation. But uh, they, you know, the team kept cool, calm, and collected, figured things out. And now, um, you know, it might not be as electric as that six and one start, but I personally think they're playing some of their best basketball, if not the best basketball right now. Matt, Matt, I want you to check me on this because I'm going to run what Grant just said. And it, and it's okay. coming off of, of what uh, Fran Fraschilla said in the, on the three month podcast, talking about the fresh legs and what Grant was just saying about Tang taking accountability for the fresh legs. So Fran Fraschilla said that now that we're in the second half of the league, you don't have to run as many practice, like trying to get your guys tuned up for a game because they've already seen and they've already got the scout on plays. So my thing is, think about this. We were playing Oklahoma for the first time that season, coming off of another road game versus Texas Tech. So we're on a road trip versus a team we haven't played before. So they're probably working these guys extra hard to try to get a scout on them. Gasson is sick, which we come to find out that he's – He's basically sick, so his legs are completely shot. And we're running scout for a team we haven't played before. So that would that kind of clues me in that once once we got past that Oklahoma game, we could finally kind of rest these guys. We're on a home stretch, and we've seen all these teams already, so there's no need to scout. Am I crazy to think that we're just we're just all kind of putting the pieces together to find out like, yo. That's what was happening. The legs were shot because we, we were practicing for Oklahoma, who we haven't played before. That's a, that's a great point. I think it's a good point. I mean, as probably the most pessimistic person in the group, um, it makes a little bit of sense. Uh, I mean, I think we we hit, you know, the two-game streak there was – I felt really bad. Um, albeit Texas Tech is a team we struggle with at home. We were able to win, but – the Oklahoma game, I believe, was just maybe an ano- anomaly kind of in this situation. Um, you know, we, we've heard some pundits talk about how the Big 12 schedule is, and it would benefit the Big 12, in my opinion, to have some type of rest, some type of break. Everybody gets a one-game kind of buy at some point. 
um, to, to help with some of those situations, um, knowing that the basketball season is so long. But uh, it, it makes me think, you know, the Oklahoma game tomorrow, we should win that game by a pretty substantial margin, right? Like, at the end of the day, we played two, you know, the past, you know, three games, two, three games, we've played up to those teams and we've come out with a way to win. And Oklahoma has just been on this, you know, they, they did beat o, or beat Iowa state on the road, but it's everybody's beating Iowa state on the road. Now um, it should be a really great environment tomorrow. Uh, the game tomorrow, I'm not necessarily as concerned about as the one on Saturday, but I want to see this team go two and zero in the big, in the big 12 tournament. That'd be huge. I mean, to, to go on a five game win streak before you get to the big 12 tournament, would really be a huge momentum boost going into that tournament, in my opinion. Here's here's my thing is I think if you're able to split the series with teams that you've lost to in conference play, that's a huge win. So regardless of, of the fact that we lost to Oklahoma, if we can at least avoid getting swept by them in West, and, and, and then beating West Virginia would be a, a nice bonus, but – you know, if you, in theory, if you split every series in conference play, you're a 10 and, or what, 9-9 team, and you're probably still making March Madness. And, and this team has swept Baylor. Um, who else? Have we swept anybody swept else? Swept Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, State. And we got a chance to sweep West Virginia. So, like, if it comes, and this all, it all comes back to when we had Grant on, right? I think we, when did we have Grant on last, when we were on that? Early, early January. Right at, it was like the first or second. Yeah, it couldn't have been right after that the the two stretch the two road stretch where we beat Texas and beat Baylor and we said at that point I mean we we're all riding high but just to, even after that we talked about just splitting everything else and you're you're still in contention for a Big 12 championship so like like from back then if we were to say we we have three sweeps and a split with everybody else if we go Two and zero in these next two games. We got three split, three sweeps, and two, uh, and the rest are splits. I think we all would take that, and that would be an incredible season. And and so far, there are a couple of examples of teams that we had lost to early in conference play, where we've then made the adjustments and come back and and beaten them. And and the examples that I'm thinking of here are Iowa State. Uh, you've got TCU as as an example of that as well. Um, and then, and then, or no, we beat Oklahoma State. So, I mean, those are the only two real examples of of teams that we lost to, then made adjustments, and then and then got the victory later on. Uh, the other examples are getting the win first, and then splitting with a loss later in the later in the conference season. But I do think it works out well, at least for this Oklahoma game, as we as we segue into that one, that we lost to them before. I think that this staff, I trust this staff to make the adjustments that they need to make in this game to pull out a victory. And, and again, it's going to be at home. It's going to be on senior night. It's going to be at seven o'clock central time. So those three elements alone are going to be for a raucous environment in, in Bramage Coliseum and, and Oklahoma's coming off of a big victory against Iowa state at, at Hilton Coliseum, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they're currently ranked 57th in Ken Palm. They're 61st in the net and they're all alone in last place after a loss to Texas tech. Um, let me just double check that. Cause I made these notes last, last week. Yeah. They're all alone in last place with a four and 12 record in the big 12 and a 14 and 15 record overall. Um, they're not really playing for tournament contention. 
their their only chance to make the tournament, I think, is if they run the table in the Big 12 tournament and, and get that automatic bid. But outside of that, they're playing for NIT contention at this point. And, you know, it's it's 8.05 p.m. Mountain Time where I'm at in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, and OU still sucks, but K-State's the best in the conference um, as far as teams that Oklahoma has beaten this year. Um, they're coming off of that big win. Uh, they just lost to Tech at home. Um, and then who did they play? Let's see. They beat Iowa they State played, on Saturday. They, they beat Iowa State. Yeah, that's right. I, I have my notes all mixed up here. Um but yeah, unless Chef's tinfoil hat conspiracy is accurate and they actually make a run in the Big 12 tournament, I just don't see them you know, being in the tournament. I think they're on the wrong side of the bubble. They'll probably make the NIT. They could make a run for sure uh, in the NIT. But but at this point, I think that team's probably going to pack it in. And I don't know, they're giving teams fits, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens tomorrow. Um, will we see them come into Bramlage and make another statement in what could be their last appearance in Manhattan, depending on how scheduling looks like next year in the, in the big 12, or will they falter as they come into one of the best home court advantages on senior night in the nation? I'm, I'm curious to go around the room here, go around the, um, the, what the stage, I guess we can call it uh, and get y'all's thoughts on, on what, what Oklahoma team are we going to see tomorrow night? Hopefully one that's kind of given up. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, the game at Hilton Coliseum on Saturday was very surprising to me. Um, albeit Iowa State has been on just a really negative run. You know, I think they're 2-8 and eight in the past 10 games. Something And they just dropped like that game that. to West Virginia last night, too, at Hilton. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what's going on up there. Maybe there's some flooding going on. But, uh no, yeah, you know, Oklahoma is a team, obviously, that we saw, you know, had a little bit of a matchup problem for us in Norman. I think there were a lot of pieces of the puzzle that just didn't come together for us that night that are going to come together tomorrow. Um, I'm feeling pretty confident about this game. And this is a game that you do have to win um, to show just from, you know, boosting your home court and, um, knowing it's the last time that your seniors are going to be playing at home um, in front of your your home fans. It, it's an important game in, in many ways, but it's one just from the overall Big 12 picture. Um, you're 10 and 6 in conference right now, which is an excellent record. Um, you know, to be able to win 11 games in this conference, knowing that, you know, you were picked last uh, is, is incredible um, in so many ways. So, I don't necessarily have much of a just I, I, I just have a good feel about this game that we're going to really kind of rewrite the uh, the recent history against OU and, and win big at home tomorrow night. I agree. I agree 100 um, percent. And yeah, I, I, I think you guys have said a lot that I would have said, too, like this game is just uh they're not going to want to lose the OU after getting embarrassed in Norman like they did. I mean, that's, I think, probably one of the most motivating factors for them in the locker room. At least it would be for me. And uh, I think that, you know, this team is is prepared to – they've been so focused on their goals and, and wanting to win a championship, um, whether it's a Big 12 or national championship, which obviously – Big 12, which seems in doubt. I haven't even looked at the Kansas score since I got on. 
KU's up, uh, I want to say, like five or seven points right now on Tech. But it's, so yeah, it's relatively close. Yeah, it's close. Giving, But, I mean, regardless, there's no way Tech wins that. I mean, if it happens, um, you know, I'll be the first one to sing from the rooftops. But it's just not going to happen. So, But regardless, they're stuck on their goals to win games. And I just think they're going to, you know, win out. I think they're going – I think they can even beat West Virginia – at, on the road, it's not easy. That won't be easy at all to do. But um, depending on how tomorrow night goes, and they they do win comfortably, like I think they can against a uh, a team that you know won comfortably against them at home, um, and and like I said, embarrass them. I think they win comfortably, and if that happens, I will feel good about going into Morgantown um, in K State's chances to, you know. Really, I, that if they if they can win out and yeah, have twelve wins first year for Jerome Tang, it's just really some of the most incredible stuff that you can write at K State. It's a, you know the uh, basketball Bill Snyder for K State, like it's incredible. Um, I mean, we'll see what he does with his career, but the start is just unreal. And um, if it, if it goes the way I think it does, because regardless, ten wins. Like you said, Matt, like it's already a good output. So, uh, but you win two more and you get 12 wins in, or 11. It just gives you so much confidence going into the Big 12 tournament. And I think this is a team that if they, I mean, which it doesn't look likely, if they don't win the Big 12 championship, regular season championship, they're going to have, I think, strong eyes set on that conference championship. And they have a team, I think, set to do it. And I think this that's going to be their, you know, primer for the NCAA tournament where they start shortening that, uh, you know, lineup and they figure out the guys that they really want to, you know, how they, how they want to play guys. And I think they're figuring it out right now too with uh, starting sills and stuff like that because this is going to be, you know, I think the conference tournament is going to be a lot of fun this year. And I think K-State has a really good shot of winning it. I mean, they have the team to do it. If Keontae Johnson can just put together, you know, three really, really good games, it's, it's, it's a wrap. So I, I think um, I, I like where K-State's at. Like I said, I think they're playing some of their best basketball in the country. And I don't see that slowing down. I think they're going to keep doing what they're doing, give the guys rest, because this, this team is good. And once they figured out that, hey, it's tired legs and sometimes players need to be able to have some time to rest their legs because it's a grueling sport running down a floor and practicing every day. And it's, it's not easy on your legs. So I, the, the rest thing is so huge. And then figuring that out and, you know, obviously Tang has so much experience at Baylor. I'm sure he's already knew about the rest deep, even deeper into uh you know deeper into seasons but i think he figured out this team you know doesn't have 10 guys they can go to like sometimes it felt like he had at baylor so he had to rest them earlier in the season that he wanted to because you've seen i think tang want to shorten the lineup in the past when we see green disappear for games or easy Oleg disappear when gasan is healthy I think that's already a sign that he wants to shorten this to really play the players that he thinks give them that best opportunity to win. And so I'm excited to see 
you know, the best players for K-State, the best Wildcats, duke it out. Uh, not only tomorrow night, but really I'm excited for Kansas City more than anything else right now because this team has a great chance. Unless KU uh, blows this eight-point lead, of course. Well, I'll tell you this. I mean, I'm going to – I got some thoughts because you said a lot of interesting stuff in that. And we're talking about Tang. First, I want to I want to say this about Tang. The season, like Matt said, incredible season so far what we've had. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, but the last four head coaches at K-State, their first season at K-State, all 20-plus win seasons. Kind of nuts. I mean, you got Hugs, 20-plus wins. Frank Martin, 20-plus wins. Bruce Weber, I think, did he win uh, the Big 12 yeah. his first year? Not yeah, sure. he did. 20-plus <laughs> wins. Tang, 20-plus wins. So, I mean, it's it's kind of nuts what, what K-State does their first season with new head coaches is kind of kind of pretty cool. Um, so that that's interesting from what you said. And then this Oklahoma game, it being senior night, and you talked about shortening – I asked you about shortening up the 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 lineups, basically, if you could call it that, and who we who we're going to see on the floor. We've got what do we have? Six seniors walking uh, for their senior night. Do we see? Does Tang start all seniors? Does he start Egiola, Sills, Keontae, Noel, and Tyke? And have and was it Nate Aubrey on the bench? Uh, obviously, probably won't start him. But those five starting, uh, just paying homage to them. I mean, I think that would be a kind of a cool little thought experiment to see if he does that. You know, the last time we started a walk on on Senior Day, Pearson McAtee didn't he have like ten points in the first half against Iowa State? Did he? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I swear to God, right? Like I remember, like he just went off, and we're like, "Where? What is going on right now?" I'm pretty sure we beat Iowa State that day too. That was a that was a right before COVID. That was a 2020. Yeah, I might I might need to check the check the stats there. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure you're right, especially if you remember. I do. I don't know if it was Iowa State, personally, but I do know he had at least one game where he got some action. Was it senior night? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember just because there was, like, nobody. It was uh, the yeah. beginning of spring break. I sat and in the student a- section, yeah. and uh, but Pearson started, and he, like I, – I swear he had at least, like, six points in the first half. But All right, let's, let's fire up the game log here in ESPN. <laughs> I mean, that's he, one thing uh, I will say. I don't think Jerome Tang would, would start Pearson McAtee ever. No. It was Iowa State, and he got six points in that matchup. He was three for eight from the field. Played twenty-five minutes. And I like Pearson McAtee. He's a great guy. That might and be. That might as well a be a ten. Good basketball player, but uh, to uh, Chef's point, I don't know if or question. I don't know if like I think it would be yeah cool to pay homage, but I don't know if Tang will do it. That is an interesting question. I I personally think it's going to be the same starting lineup we've seen the last couple games. But uh, maybe he will. I mean, Eziola deserves it. He's been a solid piece on this team, especially, you know, 
in the locker room. He's a great person. Um, and he's done some things on the floor too, especially when Gasson was hurt. Um, he was massive. I think, you know, even though the stats don't back it up, he was really, really big. Um, but I just, I just think they're going to stick with what they've been doing. I think right now they're so focused on winning that they're probably, I, I don't know how emotional they'll even make this game to be honest, because I honestly think there was a point in during the season where uh, that played somewhat of a role in the tired legs is emotion too getting involved. Like we're talking about such an amazing start for this team that, I mean, uh, back to what you said, Chef, about first-year head coaches at K-State being great uh, in basketball. It's interesting to even point out, too, that Tang's doing it, I think, in a even crazier way. I guess I don't remember exactly. Obviously, Frank was set up nicely. Uh, Huggins got Beasley. <laughs> I mean, uh, and then we're talking about uh, Bruce was able to keep together a whole entire squad that was really solid from a year before. Uh, Tang had two guys. That's the craziest part. He's, he had to recruit his ass off uh, just to get guys on the team. I mean, it, somewhat, I think it played, uh, it helped K-State because Tang is so good at recruiting. So he was able to assemble this really solid team for his first year and get a guy like Keontae Johnson. But man, um, that, that is something that I think that makes this first year even greater than any other first year we've seen at K-State, at least in my time watching K-State. But yeah, I don't know. I think, um, I think this team, I think uh, I think this team is going to stick with the starting five we've seen the last couple games, but I totally wouldn't mind seeing him switch it up as long as it doesn't mean. And and speaking of Huggins, real quick, he, and and what was it? He recruited Michael Beasley, and then Frank Martin had him in his first year. But Coach Tang doesn't have a he doesn't have a Michael Beasley in his first year, so he's done a really damn good job. To your point of yeah, playing the yeah, transfer portal and getting the guys. No, you're good. You're good. But speaking of Huggins, we've got them on Saturday. We've got the fighting Bob Hugginses of West Virginia in Morgantown on Saturday. Right now they're ranked 19th in Ken Palm. They're 23rd in the net and they're eighth in the conference somehow um, with a six and 11 conference record in their 17 and 13 overall. West Virginia might be the most confusing team, not just in the conference, but in the nation right now they're, they're on the bubble as far as their record and everything is concerned, but statistically this team is just super, super favored by all of the rankings and all of the advanced stats and everything in analytics. So it's really interesting to see this team this year because they give everybody fits, but then they'll lose a game by 20 or 30 points out of nowhere almost. Um, So, I mean, this, this might be one of the toughest outs in the conference and and they're ranked one spot ahead of K-State and Ken Palm, which is just wild when you look at the teams, their resume and and the record. Um, So I'm curious from from everybody else's perspective, what are some things that you're going to be looking out for in this game? And how do you think K-State with with the 13th best defense nationally, how do you think we're going to match up with the 16th best offense of West Virginia in this matchup on Saturday? It it makes me sick. This is what makes me not like the analytic metrics like guys 
you know, that, that throw out numbers like that. Because if you like, I mean, I'm not no basketball expert, but I watched West Virginia. They are not anywhere close to the top 25 is best teams in the country. I don't care what not stat at all. You throw, I, I don't care what not stat you throw and out there. Ball. I, I know a little ball and they're not that good. I mean, it's, it's at some point these metrics, you know, I, I'm, I'm addicted to this stuff. You know, once I get it, once I get enthralled into like March Madness, this is the most fun that I've had in a basketball season in a really long time. And it investing time into people doing the bracketologies and stuff like that. And, you know, they, the metrics bracketology, like analytic guys will say, Oh, K state, this K state that they're, they're a team. That's a first round exit kind of two seed. I'm like, but it just makes me sick. But then, and then they'll slobber all over West Virginia. And like, what is happening? This is, these guys get so in, in, you know, invested in the numbers that they don't even watch the games. Like this is not a very good team. It's just not, they have no, their post presence are all off of offensive rebounding. They have a guy in that Stevenson that can fill it up, but he has to take 27 shots to do it. And they don't have a true dish point guard that can facilitate. It's all basically isolation and offensive rebounding. That's the whole team. And, and we saw that in a game at in Bramblage where if they weren't offensive rebounding in that first half, K-State blows them out. It's just, it's just that simple. I've watched the team. They're not that good. I'm not too – it, the only thing I'm worried about is that home environment because that is a the probably one of the most daunting road environments that K State will have to see, and it'll be a good test for the postseason. That's what I like ending on a road game. I, I feel like isolation and offensive rebounding has been Huggins' mo for uh, however long he's been coaching. At least at West Virginia, I think of Miles McBride and. Uh, you know, Derek Culver, you know, McBride isolation. If he misses Hope Culver offensive rebounds, um, you know, Huggins is a hell of a coach and I respect the hell out of him, but I hate his coaching style. And um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I just hope that game K state doesn't allow what Huggins does really well and muddy up a game and find a way to win it because that could happen. And that's what, um, you know, West Virginia is so good at. Uh, But I I agree. I I don't think they're that good of a team this year, especially don't have a a real go-to guy like Miles McBride that can, you know, go get a bucket whenever they need it. And, uh, and they don't, yeah, I'm just not scared of the Mountaineers. K-State's handled them ready. Um, and like I've, I, I, I continue to say, um, unless I'm proved wrong tomorrow, I think K-State's playing their best basketball right now. And I think that's going to continue into Morgantown. And I, I think it'll be a good close game, but I don't think K-State's going to walk out of there with a loss. So it'll be, it'll be good. It'll be interesting. It'll be muddied up a little bit, but K-State's going to figure it out. Chef, what do you think I'm going to say? What do you think I'm going to say? You know. I know that you're going to say that <laughs> it's going to be one of these punch out, drag out fights, and you're not too 
and we're gonna lose. Yeah, we're gonna lose. We don't have the physical bodies for a bully team like West Virginia. But I'm gonna. I mean, you know what I'm gonna say to you? Rest easy, son. Rest <laughs> easy. We Yo, I've, I've established my brand. All right. Um. So I do think that West Virginia is going to come out knowing, hey, they win this game, they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. Like, they're probably in right now, but this is a big game for them. If K-State can manage to keep Eric Stevenson from scoring, I mean, he can get on a tear. We've seen it. I mean, the KU game on Saturday, he was making shots. I mean, West Virginia has a – they have talent on the team, and honestly, Bob Huggins drags that talent down. He's just old. He's like, I mean, he's an old fart and he's a great coach. Hall Hall of Fame coach. Great coach. Um, But he just the, that brand, I don't think necessarily suits the big 12 anymore. And so as Grant said, you know, being able to muddy up a game and make it ugly, that is how West Virginia wins games. And if they do that, we're going to know early on, like we're going to know first half, is this going to be a muddied up game that we're going to really like, we're going to be eight points down in the second half, trying to catch up from that. We're going to know early on. I I feel really confident saying that. I do think we will win the game. Everyone, this isn't like the Oklahoma state game, but um, this will be one that it, it would be big for me. Just, you know, the Oklahoma state game proved a little bit of winning on the road, but West Virginia is a different animal. They have a great environment there. And even if they're really shitty, their fans or students show up, it's an environment that I would love to watch in person someday. But um, I do think that we're going to go to Morgantown and win that big 12 finale, which would be huge. I think this is another good transition. You, you bring up, you know, if they win that game on Saturday, they're, they're for sure in, in the tournament. Lenardi right now has them as the last four teams with a buy. So he's got them surpassing that playing game, not having to play that playing game. And, and so they're those, those next or those first four in, after the last four in, I guess is the last, the best way to put it. But um, I guess we, we kind of wanted to have a little round table discussion, guys talking ball, a uh, little Q and a here with Flando I, and, and seating is one of the questions that we wanted to talk about. I mean, maybe we can open it up with this, but thoughts Flando from your perspective on, on where K-State seed line is going to be in the big dance. And, and maybe we even put aside the big 12 tournament. If, if you take the big 12 tournament out of the picture, where do you think K-State ends up seed line wise in the big dance and, and currently thinking about it and looking at like what Lenardi has by all indications, a two seed is possible with the status quo. I think an aggregate bra- bracket matrix or whatever has us as a three seed, but, but CBS, ESPN, Joe Lenardi, all of them have us projected as a two seed right now. So I'm curious from your perspective, since you know the game and you follow, you follow a lot of different teams. I know you're a big Michigan state guy too. Where do you see K-State falling seed line wise in the big dance? And, and do you think something in the Big 12 tournament could potentially change it? You know, I think um, with how I think K-State's going to play these next two games, and I'm seeing two dubs, I think a two seed is happening. And uh, like I said, I'm also excited about the Big 12 tournament. If they do lose first game of the tournament, um, which if they if they um, 
if they win these next two games, they have a really good chance of having, or do they get, they guarantee themselves a first round bye, right? Or yep. Texas. Okay. So they'll guarantee themselves a first round bye. And if they lose that first game, I think they stay a two seed. I think we've seen enough times, especially in this league, that being a losing in the Big 12 tournament is not going to kill your seeding if you're um, a top tier team. I don't have, you know, a great example off the top of my head, but I'm sure, I mean, unless we've, I mean, we've seen it with K State specifically getting disrespected. Um, you know, whether it's football or basketball with rankings and whatnot. But I think this team is getting a fair shake this year. And I think if they handle business the rest of this regular season and even lose the first game um, after a bye, you know, they're going to play a team coming off a big win um, in the in Kansas City. That deserves a two seed. We're talking about, um, you know, a top three team in the best conference in basketball, that's got to be a two seed every time, if not a one seed. I mean, obviously you can't give one seeds out like candy. So it's going to be K-State, I think, in a two seed. If you if you uh, want to throw in worst case scenario and they lose these both, both these last two games, then I would guess worst case is four seed. I mean, uh, maybe – I don't know, five seed, but I think four seed is probably worst case scenario for this team that has, I think, not only uh, the star power, but they have really massive wins to back it up. I mean, this team is taking care of business. You, you know, just looking at the top 25 teams they beat and their quad one wins, the best conference in the league. I don't think this team, even if they lose out, uh, I mean, if they lost three in a row, maybe they sneak to a five seed. But I, I don't even know about that. I, I think this team, I don't sure ends yeah. up a four or better. Yeah, I don't see. I don't see. There's no way possible that we could drop below. Honestly, I don't see us dropping below a three seed because the the committee put out their first sneak peek of the well, their only sneak peek of the the top sixteen, and they had us at uh the. Second or third, the third. They had us three. as a three after the loss to Oklahoma yeah. and Tech, and we hadn't won a game yet. Yeah, we had, that. we had, we've only, we had only won one game versus. Uh, we were like, what we, what were we? We lost, we lost versus Iowa State, Texas. We beat TCU, Texas Tech, lost to Texas Tech and Oklahoma, and they still had us as a three seed, and we had one, two, three. We're coming off of three straight wins, two versus ranked opponents, one versus a top 10 team, Baylor. I, I mean, I just don't see the di- – because all these losses are going to be considered uh, – maybe this Oklahoma will be – I think they're actually considered quad one now because um, I, I think after they beat Iowa State, they, they increased the Oklahomas to a quad one. But – I think every loss that we could possibly get now would be considered quad one losses. I don't think they would drop us below a three seed at all. Um, especially look at the dynamics of every, I know this is going to get like super deep into it and I want everybody else to start talking about it. But like you, you look at the, the, the landscape of college basketball, Arizona's losing Baylor's losing, um, you know, this the Texas is losing Team that we're in contention with for these two seeds and these three seeds 
they're losing, Virginia's losing left and right. You know, these these are the teams that the only teams that we would have to worry about are like teams like Gonzaga, but they're they're not getting any strength of uh, strength of schedule wins because they don't play anybody in their conference. So you know, Gonzaga, UCLA is looking for a one seed. Purdue might drop down to a two seed. It's just a whole bench, a bunch of scenarios, but I don't see there's any way that we would drop below a three seed just because of the respect that the committee is giving the Big 12. And to the uh, you guys were talking about in the Big 12 tournament, the committee does not give a shit about tournament Big 12 postseason tournament wins or losses. Because I think last year, I think Notre Dame – like went on a like crazy run in the Big East tournament, or that mean the ACC tournament. They didn't get in. Uh, I think I might have that backwards, but some you know a lot of these teams went on stretch runs in the ACC and these SEC tournament games and stuff like that, and they just it just didn't matter for them. They still didn't get in. So I think they the committee doesn't put as much emphasis on the Big Twelve and the the postseason tournaments as they do the regular season. So I think if we if we handle business. There's no reason why we're not locked up for a two seed. What I will say, I don't know if anybody saw Joe Lenardi's bracketology today, but if there was a prime stop the count in quotations moment, it would be this bracketology. Um, it had us as a two seed play Michigan State, potentially in the second round. Sweet 16 could be Creighton or Tennessee. This is this is in like the East region too, right? New York City, right? In New York, in Madison Street, Square, in New, in New York, which we've create... got those guys. We've got what Marquise, yeah. we've got Naquan, we've got Ish. I mean, we've got like Ish. four or five guys who are from New York City, so they would be playing yeah. at home in Madison Square Garden against like you know the best competition in in college basketball on their home turf, like with their families, with their friends. Yeah. I think that would be so meaningful for them to be able to do that, have that experience. Yeah. Because it does not sound like at least, I mean, the way things are kind of hashing out, it would be pretty, pretty tough to get the Midwest region to be in Kansas city. Um, and so, but those first two rounds would be in Des Moines. Right? Yeah. Or Denver. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Des Moines or I mean, Denver, it sounds you know, like. Is... I'd take either of those. Like, we'll, we'll travel to both places. Hey, we got to stop forgetting that yeah. Tyke is from Queens. Oh, yeah. I mean, we got to stop disrespecting oh, my yeah. mans. <sighs> That's true. That's true. I mean, we got a lot of New York flavor, which is great. Um, I would love to see these guys obviously play in Madison Square Garden. But, you know, to the matchup potentially against like a Michigan State team, which I say this in jest, but, you know, I, the Big Ten, the Big Ten looks all right. I don't know if necessarily – I mean, I think Purdue's a good team, and Purdue would be the one seed in that East region. Me and Grant will um, talk your ear off Big Ten basketball. I mean, that's, we're, that's, that's I know, what we I know. do. I know. Me and Grant, I got, enough, got the Big Ten lock. I got enough Big Ten basketball watching – You want that? Oh, oh. yeah. I mean, I, I'd <laughs> rather see it in the national championship, but, yeah. No, for real, that would be I, – I would – genuinely i know some people hate that but as an optimist myself i'm happy every every uh positive play for either team <laughs> yeah that's fair i mean there are how many teams in college basketball 300 yeah, it's, it's 300 plus i would play 
312 teams in the national championship game. And the only one that I could not play, I could not watch is if we played KU. Imagine just the absolute destruction of the state. uh, Yeah. I'm with you on that one. That's just, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, there's no scenario unless Kansas state is is winning, which, you know, you never fucking know. And uh, yeah, no, that would be, that would be torturous all game long, unless we're up 20. Uh-huh. I can't I couldn't imagine oh, 1988 like being in the Elite Eight to play like to go. Well to the and Final you had we, we beat and... what? Didn't we beat Oklahoma or Yeah Oklahoma was a tough they were in the Elite Eight that year too. I mean the big eight was stacked to begin with and and I don't know, we kind of see shades of it this year as well and, and the last couple of years in the Big Twelve, but that tournament, just looking at the history of that, it was played in Kansas City as well, the national championship and the final four. So I, I don't know. I, I didn't live through it in 1988, but it would have been a, a fever dream of the time. It was also the last year in uh, Ahern, I think. Uh, 1988 was, yeah. And we beat the one seed yeah. Purdue in the Sweet 16, and we lost to KU in the <laughs> Elite Eight. I couldn't even do that. Was Bruce Weber on the coaching staff for that <laughs> Purdue team? Maybe. <sighs> well, they, lo- <laughs> they lost, so you never he know. <laughs> Uh, no, no 1988 vibes, but, uh, you know, this, a, a two seed, I think would be, I obviously are, are kind of peak. Um, I don't think there's any way, even if you win the big 12 tournament for a one, um, I would say probably, I don't know, buddy. I don't know. I don't know, dude. I don't know. Bruce Weber we, was on that Purdue team, by the way. He was, I, he was an assistant on that. Purdue of course team. he was. I, I just, yeah, I just said that the that the committee doesn't care. But if you run the Big Twelve, if you go five and zero in these next five games, let's say we potentially have five games. If you go five and zero and you beat a KU in a Big Twelve tournament, uh, the Big Twelve championship game, or you you beat a Baylor and a Texas, or however it pans out, there's a there's an automatic. I mean, there's just a growing chance for a one seed because you got to think Arizona and UCLA still have to play each other. Uh, Purdue's falling like crazy. We would obviously beat KU. I mean, they're not going to fall out. I think they're. I think those top three are locked in: Alabama, Houston, and KU. But that that fourth number one spot is up for grabs. And Baylor is. I mean, they're achy right now. Keontae George out. Um, I mean, they're they're two and zero in their last two games, but. You know, it's it's five and zero oh for our for our mindset. That to me, that's that screams number one seed. Oh my god! I need whatever you're smoking. Uh, I don't know. I I look at the schedule or I look at the rankings, and I mean UCLA and Arizona are going to be the two ahead of us that will probably battle for the Pac-12 championship, and you forget about like the big East. I mean, Marquette is 23 and six right now. If they win the big East tournament, you know, if you have some teams lose, they could be, which is crazy to think that Shaka smart could be coaching a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, he's had a great year. I, I mean, I, the big 12 is, is the best basketball conference. And I completely like, I, I do see the point. Um, I think the two, you know, if, if they won one of Texas tech or Oklahoma on the road, it's a completely different scenario. That's the thing that sucks about those two losses. You, you go one and one in that stretch, and it's just a little bit of a different mindset. 
than where we're at right now. Um, so for me, I think our, our height, our ceilings, a two seed, I think our floor is a four. Um, and you know what? We had Grant, Grant, we had you on in the fall and you were like, we're making the, we're making the NCAA tournament. We're making the NCAA oh, tournament. Oh, he said that. And, and he picked us, what, fourth in the conference? That's right. Uh, he did. I got yeah. No, I got a, I got a question for Grant. I mean, Grant, you got Keontae Johnson, Marquise Noel there. I mean, maybe potentially Big 12 player of the year. I mean, they're battling Jalen Wilson. It's an uphill climb. I got a question about this, though. Yep. Keontae Johnson is, I mean, the probably if they had the award for number one transfer, I mean, transfer player of the year, he would probably get it. What is the bigger recruiting? What would be a bigger recruiting tool for Jerome Tang? The the story that he has with Keontae Johnson or a Elite Eight Final Four run in the NCAA tournament? Which is a bigger recruiting tool? I mean, the Elite Eight Final Four run. I mean, that's a that's such a massive, I think, recruiting tool for any team. Um, I, obviously, you wish. I mean, obviously, for K State, Bruce Weber wishes that he could have recruited even better off of his Elite Eight uh, appearance, but Jerome Tang gets it off. I mean, he's already recruiting at such a high level. Sky's the limit with Elite Eight appearance. Um, but it is a good point about the Keontae Johnson uh, recruitment. Um, really shows that, yeah, they can take in anyone whether they've had an injury or heart scare or anything in the past and, and find a way to make you successful. If you know how to win basketball games, um, it, it shows that, you know, they're willing to, you know, give, you know, yeah, give guys the second chances. It's same thing. It's just like, there's so many things that go into that, that Keontae recruitment um, that was not easy to get a guy like that. And we see his personality, Keontae's personality at K-State. And he's just a cool dude, how easygoing he is and his big smile. He's so, you know, infectious. It's, it's, it's cool to see, which only plays a bigger part because people like that are exactly the kind of players and people Jerome Tang wants on his team. The more, um, you know, People obviously the story's so big too, so that's another thing. It's a national story, which helps obviously. And he's such a national player; he's so good um, offensively that he's just it, it, he he brings attention to K State just by being his offensive self. Um, but yeah, no, I think that story does play a big factor, and I think it could be huge with recruiting, especially in the transfer portal too. Um, so I get it; I think it's close. But I think Elite Eight, I think it, especially with Jerome Tang and his ability uh, to recruit, that kind of excitement um, just sparks a different level of uh, curiosity, I think, from, uh, you know, recruits everywhere. It gets to the point where you don't have to – and obviously Keontae helps with this kind of thing too – you don't have to reach out to guys as much anymore. They're reaching out to you kind of thing. You get to that point, like um, recruiting level. And that's why, you know, I think all K-State fans hope after what Jerome Tang's done after, you know, with no players and first year, 
just incredible stuff. Um, so I think it's, I think it's going to be something that they figure out and, um, I'm sorry. I've, I've, I just lost track. I just got dinner put in front of me. <laughs> You're so good. I just lost <laughs> You're good. I, I like what you say about recruiting, though, because we, when we think about the football side of it and with Texas and Oklahoma leading the Big 12, a lot of the commentaries around, you know, we're, we're going to have a harder time or maybe not K-State specifically, but a lot of schools in the Big 12 are going to have a harder time potentially recruiting some of the kids in Texas who are maybe more of like a high three-star, four-star type of guy because they they have the appeal of playing their, you know, the the big flagship school in their state. But on the basketball side of the aisle, you get to play KU every single year. You get to play in the best conference in basketball every single year if you, if you commit to a school like K-State. And I think some of that allure or that appeal that maybe some of those kids in football had in, in being able to play Texas and Oklahoma every year Maybe we're going to see more of that on the basketball side, especially as you know the media mafia and everybody is is pumping up the Big Twelve the way they are on the basketball side. Maybe we're going to see more more four star, five star guys commit to schools like K State um, moving forward, especially when you've got good recruiters like Tang who are out there and, and recruiting in territory like Texas, where maybe we haven't had traditionally as big of a presence on the basketball side of things. So it's I, I think you bring up a good point there, Grant. Grant. Uh, I- you brought up recruiting and, and we hear a lot about, um, you know, some of these 2024 class of 2024 guys that you're obviously going through their main time frame, the recruitment process. And we're hearing some names. We had David Castillo, you know, he was, um, you know, he was out there for, I think the Florida game. Um, I'm seeing some stuff about a, a guy from, I think, Virginia, Washington, D.C., Patrick Nagamba. I'm probably saying the name wrong, but you right. from a recruiting perspective, um, from a recruiting perspective, you know, you you have your ears to the ground. I mean, what is the vibe like? What are you hearing about, um, you know, from some of the recruiting? I mean, we're seeing four and five star guys that K-State is reaching out to. Um, you know, any thoughts about how that's been going since the team has been so successful? Yeah, I think it's been, I think it's been huge, honestly. Like this is, uh, and you bring up, I like that you brought up uh, Patrick and Gongba. Because to me, I don't want to get too crazy or anything, but I'd be shocked just, uh, just based off of the connection that I feel like K-State and specifically Dream Dowling has with uh, him and his family. And I don't know. I I hope for K-State's sake that it works out with the same way with Isaiah Abraham. But I don't know if it's just quite as strong as what it is with Ngongba. And Ngongba is really good. He's, a, he's He can shoot it, and I think he's added um, some really good post presence to his game lately which uh, I think is going to show up, you know, in his final AAU season. And I'm excited to see where he's headed. But I don't know. I just feel good about K-State's chances with a guy like that based off the connections. And I think Dream is, uh, you know, an up-and-coming elite recruiter. I can't understate that because of his um, presence on social media. We all see it. We all know it. So, um, I don't want to, you know, hype it up too much. I don't want it to get out there too much because it's not even anything I have great sourcing on yet. Um, more than just a real good gut feeling that I think, 
I, I would say if, if one of you asked me who, if you had to pick who would be the first 2024 commitment, he is who I would choose. Um, but beyond that, I love, I love where they're at with David Castillo. I think he's uh, obviously an elite player and probably should be a five-star everywhere. And uh, it doesn't help that his coach is, <laughs> you know, his high school coach, coach is Clint Stewart, uh, you know, as a K-Stater and what K-State's doing this year, I'm really excited to see where they can take it with David. But um, to be frank with you as well, uh, the, the real good juicy news with that kind of stuff and Flando bombs will probably come, you know, once the season wraps up and the, you know, things wind down with the actual regular season. Cause I know obviously the coaches are keep their nose on the ground with recruiting and we keep, keep covering that. But uh, I, I won't lie. It's the, the information that, you know, flows from everywhere really flows once, uh, once the off season comes around. So I'm excited to see about that. But when it comes to transfers, that kind of chatter is probably sparked up uh, right now, if not a week or two ago, honestly. So we'll see what happens with that stuff. Um, I'm excited to see what (laughs) Jerome Tang can do in the transfer portal after, uh, you know, the amazing job he did in – yeah, that, that brings up a good point. Now, I want to revisit a question that we asked you back in October when we did our preseason hoops preview. Over or under two and a half years until we get our first five-star commitment? Yeah, I, I'd, probably, I'd probably take that back, honestly. <laughs> but, I mean, because it is rare, but what Jerome Tang is is a rare person. And I've realized that, you know, going through this season. And um, I'm impressed with him. I'm impressed with his staff. And, I mean, as long as a guy like Jareem Dowling, Yorick Malagy, and Rodney Perry, who, I mean, I don't know if K-State is doing what they're doing this year without Rodney Perry coaching on that bench. Incredible stuff. And then, But really, with Jareem Dowling recruiting um, and Yorick Malagy, that duo right there is just incredible. And then, but dream in particular is just scratching the surface, I think. So, um, and then Tang obviously is an elite recruiter. Um, it's just, you know, I, I think they keep it. I think the key is Tang keeps it together. Dream has said he's not leaving Tang anytime soon. Um, uh, of course, if someone calls with a, a good head coaching job, that'd probably change his mind. But until then, I think he's K-State's. And uh, I think that's really exciting. And that ju- just only increases their chances of getting a five-star in the next. Oh, man, I'm, I'm all bricked up now listening to this. So, And, and man, if the, if the transfer portal is going to be even better and – I mean, you can't say enough about what he was able to do. And I can't wait to see Keontae Johnson and some of these guys that he's picked up in the transfer portal in, in this past offseason be able to get their their moment in the in the spotlight tomorrow night on senior night. But um, if if this is just the the tip of the iceberg for this team from the transfer portal and from a recruiting perspective with high school seniors, 
man, this is going to be, this is going to be a wild ride and, and a fun, a fun tenure under the Tang regime. And, and Flando, we, we appreciate you coming on tonight, man. And I know you've got some dinner in front of you to eat. So we'll, we'll let you get to your, get to your meal and give you any last words or, or thoughts that you have before we leave you here. Appreciate you guys. And it's always fun to talk K-State basketball um, and K-State football, anything with you guys. It's fun. Um, always enjoy it. And uh, go Red Raiders. Let's go, baby. Only- <laughs> yeah. Let's go. It's a four point game. It's a four point game right now. And this is the first time I think uh, I think my wife and, and her and her dad have been cheering for Texas Tech all season because they hate <laughs> Texas Tech. But uh, on, on that note, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. And for all of us here at Cocaine Willie, to everybody in the live room who contributed tonight. Um, granted, we just had Grant tonight, but uh, this was a great discussion. So appreciate you, Grant, for for hopping on tonight. Uh, give Cocaine Willie a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to be notified when we drop new episodes. And leave us a review with your feedback. Uh, if you're on Twitter, you know where to follow us, at Cocaine Willie, or follow us individually. I'm at Bob Trollsby. Chef is at Chef Andre Napier. And Fireball Matt is at Matt Marchesini. Chef. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. We are all coke and no joke. Wildcat country. Let it ride. The Raiders. The Raiders. The Raiders.